Thank you. I'll go first. Uh, it's Rob Gilchrist here. Um, pleased to be on this podcast today. Uh, I'm a scientist um, and I'm a university academic, actually. Um, and at heart, I'm an oocyte biologist. So I, dis- I, I do research on oocyte development and oocyte maturation and what constitutes a good quality oocyte. Um, and that brings me, of course, to applications in oocyte in vitro maturation, which for an oocyte biologist is a good means of assessing oocyte quality. And my interests um, span from developing IVM technologies um, in domestic animals, uh, particularly in cattle, through to um, improving IVM uh, in humans for the treatment of infertility and for fertility preservation. And my name is Michel De Vos. I'm a gynecologist and a reproductive medicine specialist from uh, Brussels, Free University of Brussels in Belgium. My interest in IVM um, derives from the um, observation that many uh, patients um, who, who are infertile or who struggle to conceive um, may not, well, may not be helped very well with the conventional um, treatment modalities. And um, oocyte in vitro maturation has appeared as a rather patient-friendly approach um, because um, there is uh, fewer hormones uh, involved. And um, along the line, um, we discovered that the techniques that were being developed uh, for these patients were also very interesting to help um, women who um, are confronting uh, cancer. So in vitro maturation has, in fact, a very broad spectrum of uh, applications. And um, so I'm happy to join our experience uh, with, um, with this technique uh, with you today. Thank you very much, both of you. Perhaps we can begin with you, Michelle. Uh, why, why is IVM a useful approach for management of oncofertility? And what are the different options available to cancer patients? Well, we have to realize that the majority of uh, women who are um, diagnosed with with cancer have time to uh, undergo hormonal stimulation of the ovaries in order to obtain mature eggs um, for cryopreservation of eggs or cryopreservation of of embryos. However, um, there is a subset of women with a diagnosis of cancer who do not have the time to um, to have their ovaries stimulated. And um, in, in these women, we really need to think of a very urgent and uh, readily available uh, strategy. 
and um, ovarian tissue cryopreservation um, appeared uh, some decades ago already as um, an interesting approach for these women. And um, we, we also found that when the ovaries um, from, from these women are biopsied or removed, that we could also um, readily have um, immature cumulus, cumulus oocyte complexes available that um, can be used as um, an appended uh, additional source of, of gametes. So for these women, IVM is not a, a standalone approach, but it, um, it is a very interesting addition to a source of gametes um, when you remove part of an ovary or um, a complete ovary. Um, so the, the interesting aspect of, of IVM for these women is um, the fact that you do not re need, need uh, a long time of preparation. You can um, obtain already some immature oocytes. So that's very interesting. On the other hand, um, we, we consider IVM not just in connection with um, ovarian tissue cryopreservation, but we could also um, obtain immature oocytes when we perform a transvaginal um, aspiration of um, antral follicles from, from ovaries. So that's very similar to what's happening in the fertility clinic with women who have polycystic ovary syndrome and where we puncture the ovaries to obtain oocytes. And in cancer patients who have a um, relatively good antral follicle count, it is also a good option to perform a um, follicle aspiration from unstimulated ovaries or um, ovaries that have um, that have not received a, a lot of gonadotropins, really. So this approach of IVM from transvaginally um, um, punctured ovaries is is also um, a possibility for women who have cancer. So we we are really looking at two different um, applications uh, of IVM in these patients. That's wonderful. Um, moving to you, Rob. Unfortunately, there remains some confusion over what IVM is. So how should it be defined and how relevant is its definition to its likelihood of success? Yes, that's absolutely true. Uh, there has been substantial confusion um, in the literature, uh, in, in the human clinical IVM field recently, and this has caused really a great deal of um, of misunderstanding uh, in the field recently. So if we go back to basics, and it's really quite simple, um, Bob Edwards in 1965 uh, had the first description of IVM in, in humans. And it's very simply the collection of immature oocytes from antral follicles taken out of the follicle, put in vitro, and matured meiotically in vitro. So that is from the germinal vesicle stage through to metaphase two in vitro. So that's the original de definition. And in fact, that's the universal understanding of IVM um, across the uh, scientific and clinical literature. Um, so this inherently means that the culture of the immature oocyte from the GV stage to the M2 is done as a cumulus oocyte complex. That is that the oocyte is connected to its cumulus cells, and the cumulus cells are there to support the maturation of the oocyte uh, during the process of maturation. 
So this is the way the um, scientific literature in animals understands this concept. Um, and indeed, it's the way that we have in the early days understood the process of IBM. But since then, of course, there's been many attempts to try to improve and modify the process to, to be able to bring improvements to patients. And the most common way in which people have, so to speak, tinkered with IBM is to change the hormonal preparation of the patient prior to oocyte collection. So if we give the patient FSH, it's sometimes called FSH priming, um, this is compatible with the traditional understanding of IVM because the oocytes uh, after FSH priming are still at the immature stage, um, and unless, of course, the patient is stimulated extensively. But in general, if the patient receives a few days of FSH priming, the oocytes are still collected at the germinal vesicle stage. There's also a variation on IBM called HCG priming, and that is where a patient is given a HCG uh, trigger or some other type of trigger, um, in a, actually, in fact, to, in an attempt to increase the mitotic maturation rate by maturing some of the oocytes in vivo. So this is where it gets a bit confusing because we're talking now about collecting some oocytes that have been matured in vivo and some in vitro. And in fact, the HCG priming protocol can be done without FSH priming or with FSH priming. Um, and of course, if we're giving FSH plus HCG, in fact, we're verging on really an IVF cycle. And that's why sometimes this is called truncated IVF. Now, all of these procedures or variations on IVM um, have similar efficacy rates. Um, they all work to a moderately good degree. But it should be emphasized that these um, systems of IVM differ substantially to this so-called procedure of rescue IVM. So what that is, is uh, where in, a in the course of a normal IVF cycle, that is where a patient is stimulated with FSH and triggered with HCG, a small proportion of oocytes that are collected are GV, usually about 5 to 10%. And these are usually ident identified as either a compact cumulus oocyte complex or they're identified as GVs after they're denuded prior to ICSI. Now, there's an enormous amount of literature um, on the use of these oocytes because they're freely available in an, in an IVF lab. When I say freely, I should say readily available. But this is not IVM. We have to be very clear about this. These oocytes are poor quality oocytes. They have failed to respond to stimulation from hormones. And generally, once we get them in the lab, they're in a denuded state because they've been denuded prior to ICSI. So these oocytes have failed to respond to gonadotrophins and they are naked. They are without their support cells. So to culture these GV oocytes through from the GV stage through to M2, because these oocytes, a certain proportion of them will mature, these represent very poor quality oocytes. So it's very important to emphasize that this is not IVM. This is not our understanding of the clinical IVM process. And it's also important to recognize that the human literature is polluted with these types of publications. So these oocytes actually represent a model of poor quality oocytes. And we have to remember that this is not what we, not what we understand to be uh, IVM. Even though these oocytes can be useful research material, they're not necessarily good quality oocytes. So this is the substantial confusion that's, that's uh, emerged in the literature. Um, and I think the take-home message here is that 
there is a, a basic understanding of what IVM, which IVM is, which is the culture of immature oocytes from the GV stage to M2 in vitro. There are some variations on that, but the culture of GV oocytes from stimulated cycles is not IVM. Thank you very much for that important clarification. Michelle, what are the benefits and risks of IVM compared to ovarian autotransplantation, which has also proven to be a successful approach to fertility preservation? Well, I think we have to um, appreciate the clinical context. If, um, if we are seeing a patient who has no time for ovarian stimulation, so we have to do something urgently, and then we offer her to choose between IVM or um, ovarian tissue cryopreservation, then, of course, the question is, is she fit enough to undergo a general anesthetic, um, a laparoscopy to um, remove the ovary? Um, if this is not the case, because this, this is often, I mean, we, are, we, we often see women who are very, very sick, very ill um, because of the malignant tumor, um, women with hematological malignancy who are just not fit enough to undergo laparoscopy. So in these women, we can we just cannot perform um, a laparoscopy to um, to remove ovarian tissue. And, and we, the only thing we could do is to perform um, um, a transvaginal um, um, egg collection for, for IVM. So that's definitely a benefit of IVM that even if a patient is really very sick um, and she needs to have urgent chemotherapy, she cannot undergo laparoscopy, then let's just do an IVM um, pickup. Um, another very well important risk of ovarian tissue cryopreservation and transplantation is the risk of reintroducing malignant cells. So if you have a malignant tumor with a risk or a high risk of um, malignant cell involvement in the ovary, then you, you simply cannot transplant the tissue back again to the woman if, um, if, she, if she's cured from cancer. Then the only thing you can do is to, um, well, to transplant follicles, um, isolated follicles excised from the ovarian tissue, but that's um, still a very experimental approach. Um, we know that um, research is being done to, um, to explore this and um, trans, um, also a, um, a artificial ovary technology is, is being developed to, um, to help these patients in the future. But at the moment, the only way you can avoid reintroducing malignant cells is not to transplant ovarian tissue if there is a risk of, um, of malignant cell reintroduction or if you have um, demonstrated by doing histopathology um, um, exams of the ovarian tissue that you can demonstrate um, the presence of malignant cells. This is also what happens when we, um, when we have a patient who asks to have her ovary transplanted and we first uh, thaw some, some fragments of frozen ovarian tissue. And if we discover uh, the presence of malignant cells, then we have to tell the patient that we cannot transplant um, the ovary. So that's a very important um, aspect. On the other hand, a, um, an important benefit of ovarian tissue transplantation is the potential for the woman to achieve spontaneous pregnancies after ovarian autotransplantation, which is obviously not the case if we have um, oocytes um, that are cryopreserved after IVM. These oocytes 
upon warming, we, we have to uh, fertilize them in vitro. So um, the only way of um, conceiving is by in vitro fertilization. So that's um, probably on the, on the downside of IVM compared to ovarian autotransplantation. Another limitation of IVM is when you, when you have a patient where you would like to do um, an egg collection transvaginally, that some women may present with a low number of enteral follicles in the ovaries. And knowing that the um, recovery rate of oocyte cumulus complexes when you perform an egg collection is rather low, around 50%, um, this would mean that if you have a patient who has an enteral follicle count of, um, for instance, 10 follicles only, that you may be able to recover five cumulus oocyte complexes from that patient and uh, knowing the maturation rate of, um, of IVM in these patients, um, with, with current IVM media, the maturation rate is between 40 and, and, and 60%. So that would mean that you would only be able to cryopreserve two or three oocytes for that patient, which gives her a very low chance of um, pregnancy in, in the future. So there are definitely some, some pros and, and cons in, um, to both approaches. And I think the very important um, challenge here is to, um, to try to combine different approaches in order to improve the reproductive potential of a patient. Thank you, Michelle and Rob, and thank you to everyone who has tuned in to this episode of Fertility Insights. Please like, share and comment, and make sure to tune in to our next episode when we will be continuing this discussion on IVM in oncofertility with Professors Michelle DeVos and Rob Gilchrist.